Welcome, everyone, once again to another episode of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Uh, in this episode, I'm going to be talking with Jim Mullins. Jim is the pastor of Theological and Vocational Formation for uh, Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. And uh, he's also the director of the Faith, Work, and Rest Initiative for the Surge Network, which is uh, in the Phoenix area. And he also hosts the uh, Faith, Work, and Rest podcast, where he and his co-hosts and his guests have uh, really great conversations about the way that God is at work in the world, accomplishing God's mission through our seemingly ordinary work. And um, I would just like to say that it is a great podcast. Uh, I listen to it. I've been listening to it for uh, the last couple of months, and uh, I love it, and I think you would love it too, so you should check that out. Uh, one of the things that I love about Jim is that he asks really good questions. And uh, in the beginning of our conversation, uh, we talked briefly about a question that he recently posed on Facebook about the good that American football contributes to the world. So just a good, deep thinker and asks great questions. Of course, we talk about a lot more than just football. Uh, we also talk about the mission of God and uh, about what God wants to do in the world and how we are invited to be a part of it. So really good stuff. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode five of Spiritual Life and Leadership. All right, I'm here with Jim Mullins, who is was just telling me about how incredibly hot it is in Tempe, Arizona. How are you doing, Jim? Are you surviving? I'm I'm surviving. I'm training for the days when we <laughs> have the weather that's the admiration of the whole country, but those yeah. days are not today. Not today. Um, and uh, and Jim was telling me that uh, they do a lot of stuff really early in the morning, and you just you already had a meeting at 5:30 this morning. Yep. Just to avoid the heat. That's yep. incredible. I yeah. I try my hardest to always be asleep at five thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Tuesdays uh, well, through Thursdays I have meetings at five thirty AM. Wow, that's amazing. But just during the summers? Or no, does that, all year. Oh, it does go all year that way. That's yeah. amazing. Well. Well, um, so uh I met Jim, uh just a little background. I met Jim about two years ago. Uh and Jim was one of the speakers for uh, was the speaker for one of our Flourish Academy retreats uh, when I was on staff with Flourish San Diego, and uh, told some great stories. That's one of the things I remember about Jim is that he told some great stories and he uh, asked great questions. And um, uh, okay, just for fun, before I, I I want you to tell us a little bit about you, uh, but I was looking at your web uh, your uh, Facebook page and you asked this question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just mm -hmm. curious. You said. Does American football contribute any good to the world that can't be found in greater measure within other sports? Honest question, not trying to make a point. You always ask just really intriguing questions. Uh, <laughs> why, why, and just out of curiosity, I didn't look at any of the feedback, but why did you ask that question? Oh, why uh, did I ask that question? Okay, yeah. so first of all, to know my background, I have been play, I played football since the moment I could basically walk. Okay. Um, and playing with my brothers, playing with friends, and I played in high school, and I really enjoy the game of football. Okay. But earlier this summer, I was going to the NBA Summer League, a trip I like to make every year, okay. 
Okay. And we began to ask the question of which sport contributes most to shalom. Oh. And so we were having this discussion along the way. And uh, by the way, the answer to that question, in my opinion, uh-huh. is basketball. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> my son would approve. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so anyway, as I was having that discussion, I began to really ponder, like, in what ways does football contribute to the shalom of the world and wrestling with the ethics of supporting a sport that I love yeah. with concussions and those sorts of things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm wrestling with. Yeah. Actually. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, good question. So uh, tell, tell us a little bit about what you do. You're a pastor. Um, you do surge network, uh, I think. Right. And so yeah. tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah sure. So I wear a couple of hats. Uh, one is I help lead the Surge Network, which is a network of churches from a number of different backgrounds that are uh, seeking to put Jesus on display in the in the Phoenix area and the broader Arizona. Um, within Surge, one of my main areas of focus is the Faith, Work, and Rest initiative, okay. um, which really seeks to help people reimagine their daily work, discern their vocation, and establish healthy rhythms of rest. And then the other hat that I wear, the other big hat I wear, is I'm a pastor at Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. Okay. And how how long have you been there? Uh, I have been a pastor with Redemption for about eight years. Eight years. All right. That's cool. That's good. Cool. all right, so we were going to talk about uh, the mission of God today. Um, yeah. And um, let me just start by asking this question. If I were to say the mission of God is, how would you finish that sentence? Ooh, that's a good question. I like yeah. that. Uh, good. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, I would say the mission of God is God's mission, which is okay. seems redundant. But a lot of times when we think about mission, we think of the activity of humans but I think the first thing we need to think of is God's activity and what is he doing and that our activity to participate in that is the participation in his mission, not something that's uh, primarily human origin. And so I would say his mission, he, God is on a mission to renew and restore and rescue all of creation, all that was lost in the fall, including mm-hmm. the spiritual, social, and physical aspects of life that have been um, uh, corrupted and uh, broken uh, by sin and, and its effects. Okay, that's good. Um, and um, uh, you mentioned uh, when you were talking about football a minute ago, you talked about shalom. and uh, Yeah. Last couple of episodes that I recorded, I've been talking about shalom and um, how does shalom fit into the mission of God or how would you describe that, explain that? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think shalom is the way that God made the world to be where um, the relationships between humans and God, humans and each other, humans and creation and even with ourselves. are all uh, flourishing and mutually enhancing. And uh, if shalom is the way that God made the world to be, um, then his mission is to restore the world back to shalom. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and so that's God's mission. And then if I were to say the mission of the church is, 
How would you finish that sentence? Yeah, so I, I think that there are really three primary ways that we participate in God's mission, three like commissions that you see throughout Scripture. And, and I think of them as the stewardship mandate, the service mandate, and the spoken word mandate. In, in stewardship, we are displaying the glory of the Father through the work of our hands. In service, we are displaying the love of Christ by washing the feet of the world. And in spoken word, we are displaying the power of the Spirit by opening our mouths. And I think all three of those things need to be in symphony and harmony with each other. Mm. And a lot of times, um, churches will emphasize or individuals will emphasize one of those three things. And then almost frame it as competition. Um, you know, is it is it about doing good works or proclaiming the good news? But really, instead of those yeah. things being in competition, they're supposed to be in harmony with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a great point. I've never heard this before. Uh, stewardship, service, and spoken word. Um, yeah. Can you, can you just kind of say more, like, what does it look like to... Uh, however you said that, to live out the stewardship that we're called to or the service that we're called to, the spoken word that we're called to. Absolutely, absolutely. So in stewardship, stewardship really is um, is our daily work of reflecting God's character through um, the normal stuff of life. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if God, if... the it is truly important and valuable for people to know and to see God and to experience him. He has put his image bearers in the world to reflect what he is like. So how do we know what creativity or provision or wisdom is? Well, it's dramatized by human beings in the, their daily work. When we see um, a, a creative, um, a creative teacher putting together a lesson plan, she or he is an echo of the glory of God and the creativity of God. When we see a wise manager um, who puts together a good uh, staff and, and, and leads them with wisdom, we're seeing an echo or a reflection of the wisdom of God. And so I think part of our role in the mission is to day in, day out through our normal stuff of life, dramatize and display what God is like. So that's mm. stewardship. Okay. And then I think, um, so the, the world gets to see a glimpse of the Father through the good work that we do. And in service, I think this is really the call to sacrificially and creatively love another. And when we do that, that displays the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. So in other words, um, I, I think of Colossians 124 where it talks about how Paul in his flesh is filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And I mean, that seems almost heretical to think of Paul filling up what is lacking in Christ's yeah. afflictions. What could possibly yeah, be that? Yeah. And I think it's the presentation of Christ's afflictions through our own uh, suffering love for others. Mm -hmm. um, so service would be when we take stock of our life and look at the blessings that God has given to us and we turn them outward to our, to our neighbors. So I think when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, he's, he's um, 
it's actually a very scandalous and beautiful statement in that it's a call to creative love, to audit the aspects of our life that we have to give to others and then to creatively reimagine them as service mm. for others. So an example of that would be, I'll just throw a few quick yeah. examples. Yeah. One would be my friend Roy. He is a guy who had a, a truck and he's a strong guy. And he sees these as assets that God had given him that he needed to creatively turn towards others. So he blocked out his Saturday mornings and made himself available to help people move, wow. uh, whoever needed to be to move. So then it became like a thing where anyone who knew someone who moved, yeah, call Roy. He's going to show up and help, even if it's someone you've never even met before. And he was going to give his truck and his muscles and his warm personality to love his neighbor. Yeah. Um, you know, another one would be um, a, a, we have a group of friends that um, all drive Uber. Okay. Uh, and we do this in sort of a creative thing. We realized that God had given us a car and how can we use our car as a means of loving our neighbor? Yeah. So first of all, what we do is we, we actually give away the money that we make from the, the Uber rides and we let the passengers vote on where the money goes. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And in the process of them telling where they think the money should go, we usually give them three or four options. It stimulates really rich conversation um, and uh, an opportunity to connect with people. And then we also try to focus where we drive um, based on the probability of reducing drunk drivers. So we'll go to bars and things like that and be available. Um, And then, you know, so things like that of, of looking at your life, taking stock of the things you use to love yourself. And asking, how can I use them to love my neighbor? Yeah, that's great. So that's service. Yeah. And then spoken word. Yeah. Say more about that. Yeah. Spoken word is to open our mouths and to verbally proclaim the good news of of our who our God is, what He's doing in the world. Um, I think the the core elements of the gospel are the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But the the whole story is something that we get an opportunity to tell. And what I really encourage people is that the spirit is already out at work in the world and has filled the world with rich, redemptive analogies and questions and images that point to Christ. And so we go out into the world and we look for those things and ask the spirit to guide us. And when we see them, we open our mouths and we point to Jesus. That's great. Um, I, I imagine some, and, and I would have at some time, you know, in an earlier stage in my life, I would have said spoken word means, um, you know, you present the gospel and invite someone to prepare to receive Jesus into your heart, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, what, what would you say to someone who said, you know, I think the mission of God is to get as many people saved as possible or to share the gospel with as many people as possible. How would you respond to that? Well, that's a good question. So I would say it's beautiful that you would want to announce the good news to as many people as possible. But I also wonder if our um, sense of evangelism hasn't been shaped more by the industrial revolution than Mm. real, um, than sort of the craft movement. And Uh so 
Here's what I mean by that. I think a lot of times when we think about evangelism, we think of it as uh, quantitative rather than qualitative. We think about it as how can I reduce the gospel to the most um, simple, shippable, generic version that I can get out to the most people. Um, But when it comes to craft, think about your what would you say are some of your favorite craft um, things like that I like to do? That you, that or, you, no, that you enjoy, or the, yeah, that you. I like. love, I love movies. Yeah, is that, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, like sure, craft. sure. Or, or even, um, I'm thinking of like the craft movement, the makers movement, where instead of having, um, you know, your generic Domino's pizza, you have oh, the stone oven uh, pizza or the right. Um, craft beer or those sorts of things. Right. And well, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. 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 And I think what, or the handmade table instead of the, right. Okay. And I think a lot of times what we're trying to do with our evangelism is we're trying to make Ikea furniture to get out to as many people as possible. But what if we were so attentive to the people around us that we deeply thought about what, who they are, the questions they're asking, and with the Spirit, crafted beautiful ways of announcing the good news that are meaningful to them. So I think an example of this would be, um, this might sound silly, but uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, A a number of years ago, I was friends with the owner of a Middle Eastern restaurant. Uh And he was... Uh, he loved his hummus. It, he uh-huh. talked about the secret recipe and, you know, he, he had put so much time into his hummus. So one day I was praying for him and I had this idea that I would write an essay about all the ways in which his hummus displays what God is like. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there were things in there about how God had made this combination of ingredients that yeah. he was waiting to be discovered. And, you know, my friend Abdul, he discovered those and, you know, God rejoiced and the crushing of the garbanzo beans being like uh-huh. the crushing of, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> he, he wept. Uh-huh. You know, here's a Muslim guy wow. receiving a essay about garbanzo beans and Jesus that wow. brought him to tears. Um, and he actually displayed it prominently in his restaurant so other people would see it. Yeah. And if I were to pass out my little silly essay on hummus and Jesus out on the street, it wouldn't be meaningful to most people. Actually, most right. people would think it's ridiculous. Right. But it was deeply meaningful to him because it it addressed the questions he was asking and it it came from really thinking and praying about him. Yeah. So I would say Quantity is good, and you don't want to throw that away, but also beautiful things need to be addressed with attention, and the gospel is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And as far as – so, I mean, that sounds like you you added some shalom into his life. That's what I hear as you tell that story, right? Um, So just in you reminding him of – uh, of the beauty of what he does as he makes his hummus, uh, he experiences some of the goodness of God, uh, some of the mm-hmm. love of God through you. 
Um, and he recognizes, um, that what, what he does, uh, well, whatever he believes about God, there's some, some inclination that, oh, what I'm doing matters in some way beyond just people like to eat it and it's, and then it's gone, right? Anyway, yeah. so I, I, I love that. Um, uh, and it, and it, that sounds so different than, and so much richer, I think, than, um, have you, you know, uh, have you heard the four spiritual laws, which yeah. I used to be really good at sharing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. But, and again, has, uh, has its place. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll share my little side story. I was sitting in a, a car back when I was a, a student at Fuller Seminary and I was, uh, uh, doing video production at the time for, for the seminary. And I got to sit in the back of a car. We were, uh, with, um, Sherwood Lingenfelter, who was the provost at the time, a missiologist, and then a church historian, I think, uh, Bradley, James Bradley, and they were having great, you know, deep academic, but, uh, but thoughtful spiritual conversations. They were talking about, um, I think they were talking, well, they were talking about evangelism. Um, and we were, we were on our way to, uh, interview some, you know, um, old, old theologian and they wanted to ca- capture him on video before he passed away, basically. And I got to, it was fascinating. I get to do that. Um, but I, uh, I was sitting in the back of the car listening to their conversation. They were being very kind and trying to include me in the conversation as well. And I asked them, you know, they were talking about Campus Crusade, I think. And, and I said, well, what do you guys think about the four spiritual laws? And they, um, Sherwood Lingenfelter's response was, you know, the four spiritual laws was a really great um, contextualization of the gospel for UCLA students in the 1950s. Mm. It's like, wow, that is a really great way to put that. Now, of course, yeah. it had it had a wonderful effect beyond UCLA in the 1950s and sure. even on my life, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's certainly value in the spoken word, but even then, like we always have to be careful. There is a contextualization, and I think the the calling. So as I'm reflecting on like what you've said about spoken word is how is how does God want to contextualize the gospel for this person mm-hmm. for who they yeah. are right now in this season of their life and for this guy that you talked about the contextualization of the gospel came in the form of an essay about mm-hmm. hummus you know yeah yep. absolutely <laughs> so cool so cool um, let me ask you one other question. Um, Kind of the flip side of uh, the one I asked a second ago, if someone were to say to you that the mission of God is to work for social justice, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's the thrust. That's what the church needs to be about. How would you respond to them? What would you say to them? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I would first say that, uh, that God is a God of justice and that justice is a prevalent theme throughout scripture. And to uh, participate and to pursue um, justice as a foretaste of what God is going to bring when he renews and restores all things is absolutely worth uh, spending time doing and engaging in. Um, but I think that there's there's. Um, it's not that's not the that's not the whole version of, um, of the mission. Um, and I would say that, uh, just as you can truncate God's mission into just evangelism, just social yeah. justice, just faith and work, yeah. um, those sorts of things, you, you can truncate it, it, it yeah. to j- minimize it to that is yeah. a truncation. Right. But 
We love our neighbors, both in interpersonal acts of kindness, but also by addressing the systems that affect them most. Yeah. And so to, in, to engage uh, an issue of justice that contributes to the suffering of my neighbor yeah. um, is an act of love. Mm. That's great. That's great. And that's an act of shalom as well, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I think the big categories are shalom and loving yeah. your neighbor. And yeah. these are ways that we engage right. that. Right, right. Um, yeah, very cool. So I'm curious, like, just in terms of you personally, like, how did you come to this understanding of the gospel and of God's mission? And, uh, like, what's your journey been? Yeah. So I guess the, the, the simplest way I can explain the major paradigm shift that I have mm-hmm. would be to, uh, bring it back a little bit into my early 20s. Okay, so okay. when I was in my early 20s, I was kind of a lunatic. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I uh, was calling everybody in the church uh, to go leave whatever they were doing and go to Turkey, uh-huh. uh, go to the Muslim world, and I said that we need to pack our bags and coffins because nobody should come home. We should all want to get our heads chopped off, uh-huh. that sort of thing. And uh, I was very zealous, started this group called the Moravian Community, Mm-hmm. Um, it was like about a hundred people who lived in the international student neighborhood who were extending hospitality to international students, okay. um, and sought to eventually go overseas. Okay. About 20 of us went overseas, uh, 20, 25 of us, my wife and I, we led the first team and we landed in Turkey and we were functionally, uh, perceived as missionaries back in the, in the U S but okay. as business people in Turkey, even though we didn't necessarily have a legitimate business. Okay. Um, but it, you know, a lot of times it's referred to as tent making where you're working a business right. so that you have a platform for sharing the gospel. Right. Well, what I would describe us as doing is tent faking. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a very legitimate business, nor did we give much value to the business things that we were doing. We, huh. we had an import export business, which Functionally meant we had an office and we sent some trinkets to our uncle every once in a while. Uh, um, but uh, we used it as a platform to share the gospel and do discipleship. Okay. But then what would happen is as people would come to faith and uh, would open up the gospels and want to be discipled in the ways of Jesus, uh, they would ask questions about how Jesus should impact their work and the broader aspects of life. And I realized that I didn't have a good answer for them because Mm. the only things I valued were the verbal proclamation of the gospel and discipleship. And so that that's what drove the questions and pushed us into the Bible to really wrestle with these things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's how the paradigm shift happened. Okay. And then once that paradigm shift happened, we decided that we needed to press into uh, an integrated identity where the work that we were doing was truly a blessing to others that was contributing to Shalom. Mm. Uh, so my, several of us worked at the university and then I got a job as a basketball scout. Oh, I remember hearing that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And so, so this happened over the course of how long? 
a couple of years or yeah probably from age 20 to 25 is what 20 i used to 25. say 25 yeah. okay and uh and so while you were in turkey it it changed for you it, yeah your your ministry changed from year one to year four or whatever it was right it looked different and then he came back to the u.s and you just sort of continued to lead in that way is or, or something like that or how what happened then yeah yeah so i came back to the u.s um and primarily we i came back to start an organization called peace catalyst international okay. which is focused on uh, christian muslim peacemaking but yet doesn't ask people to minimize their beliefs so in other okay. words it would bring christians and muslims to the table and say hey we we want each other to believe what we believe. We we are not hiding that, but let's yeah. figure out how to flourish together as neighbors. Mm, that's cool. Um, so I came back for that and to help yeah. out with Redemption Church for a season. Yeah. And the goal was actually to return to Turkey, um, but my daughter was diagnosed with autism, oh. and that meant that we would have to pursue a greater degree of rootedness. Right, 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 right. Very cool. Very cool. Um, let me just ask one final question. Sure. Um, um, I guess uh, the question is, uh, what, why does it matter? You know, why does it matter that we as the church and even we as individuals understand what God's mission is for the world or in the world? Yeah. Hmm. Why does it matter? I, I think uh, it matters because it's the what's next mm. question after we hear Jesus say that the great vision for life is to love your neighbor and mm. to love God with everything you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And then once you start saying the word how, you've started to ask the questions of mission. Mm. How? How do I love my neighbor? How do I love God with everything I have? And how do I love my neighbor as yourself? Oh, that's and cool. When you're asking those questions, you're functionally asking the question of how do I participate in God's mission? Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great place to end this conversation. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let me say thank you, Jim, uh, for uh, sharing your uh, thoughts and ideas and your heart with us. And, uh, yeah, I'm grateful. Uh, and I've, I learned something today, right? Let me just review. Stewardship service and spoken word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love that. So thank you. And, um, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll get to have more conversations in the future. Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the work you do. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed uh, spending time with Jim um, via Skype. I haven't uh, talked to Jim for, well, I don't know, over a year or so. Um, so it was really good to see him uh, in that way again. Uh, one of the things that I really loved uh, from this conversation was Jim's description of the three commissions that uh, he sees throughout Scripture, and as I think about it now, that I see throughout Scripture. Right? He said that we're called basically to these three things, to... Um, to stewardship, uh, which he described as displaying the glory of the Father through the work of our hands, to service, which he described as displaying the love of Christ by washing the feet of the world, and then spoken word, 
right? Displaying the power of the spirit by opening our mouths. I just thought that was uh, great and something that I'm going to take with me and, and that I'm going to, uh, we'll try to live out and then also just sort of think about how to uh, pass that on uh, in my um, future preaching, teaching, leading and all that. So uh, again, thanks to Jim. Uh, if you want to know more about Jim Mullins, uh, you can look him up on the Surge Network website, surgenetwork.com. And uh, and then I invite you to check out my website, uh, marcuswatson.com. That's Marcus with a K. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Marcus Watson. Again, Marcus with a K. And uh, just grateful that uh, I get to spend this time with you. And um, I look forward to seeing you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership. <music>